Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars unforgettable. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey gang, it's Noons, Aaron Noonan. Great to have you with me for another week. It is the V8 Salute Podcast, powered by Repco. And I know what you're saying, race fans. I know what you're saying. I reckon there's a few of you who've said this. When you saw the name Mark Howard on the podcast this week, I bet you some of you thought, wow, they got the V8 supercar development driver from the 2000s on the pod. That'll be a little bit different. I bet you there's one or two of you who thought that, but this is a different Mark Howard. This is... The host of the Howie Games, Australia's most listened to sports podcast. Um, a few more listeners than us, you've got to say, but we're going all right. We're doing good for motorsport, that's for sure. And I've got to tell you, Howie was a guy I was keen to chat to, and I think you'll really enjoy his story and his connection and his insights to motorsport. Now, many of you know him, of course, from his current gig on Fox Sports with AFL and cricket, and of course, Triple M with football as well on radio. But he's got a long motor racing story, and he started at the top in Formula One. Normally you bowl out to just learn your trade in local state racing or doing these days live streaming coverage maybe for club events. Oh no, not Howie. Straight into Formula One. He was pulling cables, not on air by the way, but it was an amazing way to start his whole sports broadcasting journey. And it's one that brought him around the world and back to Australia. He was with 10 for that great period in the 2000s, hosted trackside and uh, hosted MotoGP for a time on 10 as well. He's got a real interest and love of the sport, and there was some stuff here that we talked about that I didn't even know about. I feel like he's an untapped story in Australian motorsport because he was over there overseas uh, cutting his teeth while pretty much everybody here had no idea who he was. So who is Mark Howell? I'm going to tell you all about it. You'll get a great insight in this chat with him on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. Let's start it right now. Well. Howie. Yes. How on earth have we managed? You do not look comfortable, my friend, being well, on the other side of a podcast. This is – I know you've done some other ones, but you don't look comfy, my friend. No, it's not normally my uh, area of expertise. I prefer to ask the questions, but I must say I'm impressed with your setup. It's a setup that we talked about a while back. I think you rang me and said, what do I need? I'm and one of a million people who've probably asked no, you no, what to do. No, no, not at all. And you've got exactly um, – what you need, and I'm enjoying that you're having to check the levels and stressing about whether it's recording rather than me. Have you ever got partway through and realised you're not recording? Not quite yet. Have you not? I've well, you over haven't 200 been a podcaster. Or, no, but I, I have had some narrow runs where, oh, crap, the power's not plugged in and it's running off battery and about yep. to die. So that's yep. probably my closest skirting to Mate, if you haven't had danger. a full-blown audio, I've lost one episode, which breaks my heart. Did um, you get to redo it or did you just no, have to walk away? No, that was it. I had to walk oh. away. Um, who was it? A guy called Mike Hazeman, who was really early doors, who played cricket for Australia and then went on the Rebel Tour to South Africa. Um, we did it in St. Kitts in the Caribbean and it was early doors and I don't know where the file went, but it didn't go where uh, it was meant to go. 
It was a good chat too. <laughs> so if Hazy's listening to V8 Sleuth, one of your millions of listeners, I'm sorry, brother. I'm, I'm really sorry that the episode hasn't gone to air. Uh, I've got a funny feeling we're not in the millions. Uh, we're working on it. We're, no, we're, it's we're, gone, we're mate. You've done percentage of millions. You've done over 200 shows and, you know, that's a credit because I know how much work goes in. I've listened to various episodes along the way. I listened to Rihanna Crean, who I'm a massive fan of. I'm mm. a massive fan of what she's done in her career and what she's brought to motorsport, and I really, really enjoyed it. So it's a pleasure to be on to have a chat with you, mate. Oh, man, it's great to catch up. We've worked a little bit together yeah. over the history with last time, I think, was what, Channel 10, Channel Bathurst, 10. a few years back before we had that COVID thing. It was 18, 19. Yeah, two. Oh, all the years start to blend in the one Yeah, then 10 a, lost the cricket and I lost 10. Yeah, um, but you found Fox, so it was okay. I did, I did. It okay. No, it all worked out okay. <laughs> what a lot of people don't don't probably understand. They probably, from a motorsport perspective, understand and know you for your obviously the, the Fox stuff, the cricket, the footy. But from a motor racing point of view, the Channel Ten stuff, the V eight supercars, the mid two thousands. Mm. But and I know you have talked about this in other places before, but it's so relevant to us that you're into sport media. It's actually. Starting at the pinnacle, Formula One. Yeah. I mean, come on, like you didn't start doing club racing in, you know, the back nah, of Burke somewhere. It's crazy, but isn't it? Is it? Is it? Am I right in hearing that the the story sort of flows that you basically it, this was all about getting to you uh, no to South America for a mate's wedding? Yeah, a mate's it's wedding. It's all his fault, really. Well, Timmy Harris um, from Dumbolt North, who I travelled around the world with, decided he was getting married. I'll, I'll keep it short for you. Um, and I'd been backpacking for a couple of years, and I got a job short term. Uh, six-week contract at the Australian Grand Prix in event management, um, working on the Grand Prix in 1997. Who won it that year? Do you remember? So that was the second race. So was it Villeneuve? Uh, he won, uh, no. Hill? No, he won the first one. Right. So who won it? DC. Coulthard mm. in a McLaren, was yeah. he? Yeah. Uh, the debut of the West McLaren, the see, silver see, and black. People will understand throughout this podcast that sometimes I've worked on motorsport that I haven't known a great deal about. So That's my, okay. doesn't make you the first time. Don't, my recall of such things. But anyway. That's why I'm here. That's, that's why I'm right. here. That's why you're the guru um, and handles those stats packages at Bathurst. And I go, crikey, what the hell am I going to do with these? <laughs> um, so Timmy was getting married and I, I was working on a short-term contract and – I didn't really want to have a full-time proper job in Australia. I had the travel bug and the next race was in Sao Paulo and the race after that was in Argentina or vice versa, one of the two. So I managed to, through pestering people, get a gig pulling camera cables, which I didn't know what it was. It was Sao Paulo. So I went to Interlagos, flew to Sao Paulo. I'd been there before. I'm in travels, massive city at that stage. I think there was 24 million people lived in Sao Paulo, more than Australia as a country, and met 30 English truck drivers and riggers. And the next morning, I got in at 4 a.m. in the morning, got my way to the hotel. I don't think they could believe I got there. And 7 a.m., we're out at Interlagos pulling camera cables around a Formula One track. I, I was I was one of those kids that loved sports, so would watch on Channel 9 the first 15 minutes Sunday night, yeah, to see if there was, yeah, to see if there was a crash, and then I'd, then I'd fade out of it. A bit boring. That's right. And there I was in Interlagos. So um, I did Argentina. Went to Timmy's wedding, and then um, ended up ringing them because they owed me some money. I was in Colombia trying to get some waves, and they said, "Listen, you're in Colombia, and you owed money." Yeah, well, (laughs) but not by the Colombians, (laughs) which was good, which is good because it was it was an interesting time in Colombia, the late nineties, to be fair. And they they said, "Yeah, listen, um, we'll put the money in your bank account," which was good because I didn't have enough money to get home at that stage. Otherwise, I could still be in Colombia. And they said, "If you can be in Monaco in X number of days' time," so I had to fly back to Australia, break my mum and dad's heart, and went to England and then Monaco and. 
Yeah, mate, I started, like you said, at the pinnacle of motorsport. I was pulling camera cables around the track, so I was so far off the pinnacle of the operation. But you're at the pinnacle mate, of Mate, I was events. in Monaco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in Monaco. I was at um, Interlagos. I was at M- Montreal. Like, I see the races now. Like, I've got so many fond memories of Montreal, and when we're recording this, it was just on the weekend, and things that stick in your mind, mate. I can The first time I saw a Formula One car crash live at speed was the great Frenchman Olivier Panis, oh, who was driving a, a Prost, I reckon. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. Um, a Is blue Prost. broke his leg? Yes. Yeah, and I yeah. saw it live because I was out in a camera position with a cameraman. And I just remember thinking, by gee, that happened quickly. It's such an obvious statement. But you see car after car go around the same line and then – he was in the fence and he had a broken leg and I remember he was away for a certain period of time and then I saw him in the pits the next time he came back and he was limping. Mm. And at that point I realised as much money as these guys get paid and girls now in motorsport, which is fantastic, they deserve every cent because you're only one mistake away from really doing yourself some damage. Mm. And we're talking that era where V10 engines, I mean, yeah. we've got the hybrids now, they don't sound the same, yeah. but it's, it's, what, it's the Formula One sound that people think of when they think Formula One, where you, you literally would have had the need to have earplugs, even if you are a hardened racing fan, oh. because those things at 17,000 RPM are just screaming. But that, that was the Formula One that we that we loved. Yeah, and that still do. Exactly. You know, we still, you get to Albert Park and you're like, mm, I can. You can have a conversation during right. a Formula that's, One it's session. That's right. It's not right. It's not right, is it? It's not really right. And, and this is all new to me. And I remember that one of the guys I was working with, he's like, mate, we've got to go in the tunnel at Monaco and you've got to take earplugs out because you've got to hear what these cars sound like in the mm. tunnel when it's full reverb. And it, it nearly made blood come out of your ears. Like, seriously, <laughs> it was. It was extreme, but I was just hit by these experiences week after week, and that's where I, I had fell in love with Formula One. I got a deep love for it now. I watch it now as much as I watch cricket or footy. Um, so I really fell in love with Formula One in those early formative days when I was just travelling around the world, um, travelling around Europe, sitting in a truck, and then we'd get to the race and we'd pull the camera cables and away we'd go. We should explain to people when we're talking about camera cables, obviously all the cameras around the track that are – Televising the race have got to be linked. They've got to That's be linked right. back to the production truck. They've got to be back to the broadcast unit. They've got to be linked to one another. So you've got to actually go and do that a week or a week and a half That's before. Right. It's not like you just roll up and plug your camera in and away you go. There's actually a massive effort to make that stuff happen. And there's a, a and huge crew of people. Yeah, well, at that stage, there was 260 of us to go to a race because we were doing a, an early version of digital channels for Bernie Eccleston. So we'd have the race channel, we'd have a battle channel, you know, it might be following 16th and 15th because you don't remember. Back in those days, they'd just follow the first two cars. You didn't know what was happening. There was no. a timing channel, there was an onboard channel, and there was a pitch channel. But so you'd be at Hockenheim, mate, and the race would finish and you'd have to start pulling the cables at 6pm at night to, to wind the whole thing up. And the Germans would have just been drinking beer after beer <laughs> and they'd just be spraying wee all over your cables. You'd be like, are you guys for real here? I'm going to pull that cable while you're watching old mate Hans from Hanover just weeing all over it. Um, but it was just a series of brilliant Brilliant experiences. I was the youngest on the crew by 15 years. I was working with hardened English truck drivers who were taught how to build the village and become riggers because when we'd go through Europe, there'd be a fleet of 20 trucks and everyone had to drive, but I obviously couldn't drive. So Mm. I would just sit with a bloke called Russell Callahan and we we would have a certain number of days. We'd have two days to get from Austria to Monza. And back then, 
we were able to choose where we would stay to break up the night. So I'd be, you know, ringing up hotels if you got any uh, spots available for us, and then you'd be winding down this these little streets of Europe with your big truck, and then you'd have a sleep and jump in the truck and hit the tunes again. It was it was a phenomenal experience for I was twenty five, I reckon. Oh, just bowled straight in. Yeah, it was. It was incredible. And what was when you're so busy doing that stuff? Do you remember specifically any? What was a great place to go? Obviously, we always go on about how the oh, Australian mate, race is start. the best. But where do you want me to pick, start? Pick your location. What's the one place? What, one place that if you had a free schedule next year and you went, I could go back to a Grand Prix. Where, where are you going? Where's the party town? Mm. Where's the the best race? Where's the best food? What was the go? Well, there's various answers to that. I loved uh, Montreal. I saw it like, because Montreal was like Melbourne. Montreal embraced the race and it's the little things. So if you're at Spa, you can't get a hotel within an hour of mm. Francochamps. So you're out staying an hour and 15 minutes away. So it sounds silly, but when you're having to be there early and when you're working on something, a race that is across the St. Lawrence in Montreal compared to an hour and a half trip in- It's a good deal. Exactly. So I, I And they had concerts. I saw James Brown live in Montreal during the, was probably the 1998 Grand Prix. Uh, if I had to choose one, you can't- Go past Monaco, but let's not talk Monaco because that, that's a it's predictable sort of answer. Yeah, yeah. The, the park in Monza, it, yeah. it is in a park, and you drive in through this. It's you know it's near Milan, um, and they're so beautifully attired, the, the Italians, and it's you, you go for a walk around the old banking. And I was starting to understand the history of the sport, mm. and it was being explained Insane. to me. And it was, I don't, I don't know. Have you been to Monza? It's no, I haven't been there. It, the, the passion that you read and hear about, it, it's like. Broadcasting cricket in India, watching Formula One in Nuts. Italy, is outstanding. But the the so I would say Monza, but the French Grand Prix was in a joint called Magni Cour, mm. pretty average track. Uh, yeah, um, nothing special there. But where we stayed, we stayed in this like old chateau. The first two years, all of us. So this is a group of you know two hundred different blokes and, and girls. And I'd be with the Riga boys, um, and part of the accommodation deal there was dinner was included. So we'd get back from work, and there'd be this amazing, you know, beef bourguignon, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But added to that, noons, the um, <laughs> they had red or white wine oh. as included. Oh, part of the package. Part of the package. <laughs> so I was getting paid bugger or money, but all of a sudden the, I'm the, getting my payment in the, the rouge Hello. was there. So I, I can seriously tell you, you go back and look at, because we did the host broadcasting as well, you look at the host broadcasting of the French Grand Prix, 97, 98, 99, 2000, always the crappest coverage. <laughs> Because now we know why. We're just on the wines <laughs> all night. And I, director would get up bleary eyed. The riggers would be like, "Oh yeah, I'm not sure I can connect that cable today." And the cameramen were all like, "I'd see cameramen going yeah, to bed at focus like you four thirty a.m. and being at the track at six thirty. So, but for one race, I, I reckon, I reckon Monza. But but I could say them all. You know, Silverstone was brilliant They're as all well. Special and, elements, don't yeah, they? like the 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 first time we went to Sao Paulo. Um, you want me to tell you another story about Sao hey, Paulo? Stories. First time we went to Sao Paulo, as soon as the race finished, like literally while cars were still crossing the finish line, the pit garages were being pulled down. Oh, they do that at Bathurst. That's well, the, for the same he, reason. To get the name signs and well, the numbers no, off the- No, 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 oh, no, 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 not to get the name signs. Oh, no. Because the Brazilians would leap the fence 
and start just lifting nose cones out of the pit lane. Oh, more than just signs. So We're you talking had to full get, on souvenirs. Uh, absolutely. I saw a bloke walking out of Interlagos with a nose cone on his shoulder. So <laughs> I love the Brazilians and I love the Grand Prix and I love the madness of it. So, so Brazilian eBay is a good place oh, to have a look mate, at because we might find a bit of that Get yourself a nice, yeah. uh, like a Jordan nose cone from Ralph <laughs> Schumacher in 1998 type of setup. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's that's taking memorabilia to, yeah. to whole new heights. So, mate, it was. It, people will listen and think, "Wow, that that must have been incredible." I, I, I'm understating how good it was mm. and how much of a learning experience it was, and how much fun it was. And that was my introduction to sports broadcasting. What a way in! Yeah. That's pretty hard for anyone to top that. You know, as, you know, most people. We're just uh, well, you know. I used to commentate the club racing down at yeah. Calder in the night, <laughs> but I didn't realise that because I, I had. Like, I, it's not like I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I love sport, but it yeah. wasn't something I went through union. It thought, was opportunity. Yeah, you, you it, go, oh, well, let's I, have a go. Who I knows? just found myself in this situation. So at that stage, I probably didn't realise it until you get home for a short period of time and your mates were, you know, that I'd come out of uni with were, were whacking away on some job here. And so, you know, I'd get back and there was like rumours abound about us, like some mysterious character. I, you know, I remember catching up with a couple of mates and they heard, they said, oh, we heard you're a, a, um, a mechanic on the Ferrari Formula 1 team. I'm like, they said, geez, you must have kicked on because you knew nothing about cars. I was like, I'm not a mechanic on the Ferrari Formula 1 team. So when you come home, um, I think, because it, it wasn't Skype calls and all that stuff then, there was no social media. I probably didn't understand quite how lucky I was at the time. Mm. But it was a lot of work too. We worked hard. Oh, when you're trying to pack up a thing that goes to, at the time, I think about 16 rounds with, what are they trying to do now, 20 something? It's, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't want to be doing that now. That's that's a whole but other the, world. The fun part of it, um, now you've got me talking about this, mate, it's something I don't reflect on very often. So every second race you would have the, the, the four days of the race off. So I'd go backpacking in Austria if we were in Austria or wherever. But the the, the on-race you'd have once you'd built the the – a studio and rigged the track, I would work with either Sten Stein, uh, the Danish pastry, I used to call him because he was a Danish cameraman, or Jean-Michel Tibi, who is oh, a no, no. French cameraman who still does it and a very good-looking uh-huh. man. Great. Um, and I would be there, um, what was called a pole man, because the microwave signals at that stage, you couldn't just beam it up like we do now. You had a, an RF receiver on top of the grandstand, a bloke with a basically a, like a ray gun following your camera 70 metres away in the pits and you had to aim the pole Back up at, at the him. ray gun yeah. to get it there. So you would literally be a metre away from Michael Schumacher's pit stop or Mika Hakkinen had come in and you had to be careful because you were connected by this three-metre cable. You had to be careful that Jean-Michel wasn't on the right side of Hakkinen and you're on the left side and all of a sudden there's this cable stretching across the car. <laughs> so you'd watch, you would see the pit stops from a metre away and that's what really blew my mind because, I don't know, Noons, what would the – the pit lane, is it 80 clicks now? Oh, it's changed yeah, over the years. Exactly what it was then or is now. Or then sure, it was 100. It, it was, was faster either, then. Yeah, it was either 100 or 120. So they would come yeah, yeah, steaming in. It was still in. quick enough. You would not want to still no. get bowled over by no. one. And with refueling and um, you had to have your fireproof suit on and stuff. Mm. So it was, yeah, it was fantastic. So you, you go from the rigging and you're doing all that, but then how do you end up? Is it right that you end up having to interview Michael Schumacher first up as kind of your first yeah. little sort of dalliance? Of that is a true the, story. So you, you come in at F one, yeah, I and know. then when you've not been rigging and stuff, they've. So is it right that someone was someone to quit or something? Yeah. They so said? I got the second year. I got into production, so putting graphics on the screen, and then a director's assistant, and then directing the oddboard cameras, and then and then directing the pitch channel. But they had a. Um, it was 
so much work and you're so much time away for the English blokes and girls that I was working with that they would there was a high turnover. No. So yeah. jobs would come up. And so there was a – you would have them, being the uh, car racing nerd that you are, you would have like the 2003 Formula One DVD season recap. I'm sure you've yeah, got Yeah, those. those review DVDs that's right. every year. That's yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. I think back D- in that – DVDs, kids, they used to be this thing yeah, where well, you could <laughs> – I think at this stage we were rocking VHSs, <laughs> not your beta <laughs> cam variety, but <laughs> – so they would put out the end of season video, yeah. but we, they we would have to wait for it because you right. couldn't really get that stuff no. like you do now. You Absolutely get so much content, not. you had to wait for it. it. It was a very, very different world, kids. If you're listening to this, there were no mobile phones. Mm. <gasps> Shock horror for Are all you? the youngsters out there listening. <laughs> so they would compile this video as they'd go. So say Coulthard and Schumacher had an incident in Montreal, for example. At the end of the race, someone would have to go and find Coulthard or Schumacher and ask that both their views of the incident, and that would go in the video. So the guy quit that did that. So I got to do it at one race. I asked a couple of questions to David Coulthard, and I thought, how good's this? And I asked the boss if I could do more of it, and he said, yeah, I don't know. And then for whatever reason, they had someone to launch to do the launch of Ferrari in Maranello, just a motorsport mecca. Mm. And myself and a cameraman by the name of Adam, who I used to call the weasel, we flew to Maranello and spent two days there for the – the, the unveiling, the, what you see on the news where the scarlet um, towel comes off the Ferrari. So it's Michael Schumacher and Eddie Irvine at this stage is the combination. So my job, because I worked for Bernie Eccleston or FOM as it was called, Formula One Management, who owned it, was to ask the first two questions. Now, mate, I'm 25 and there's all these motorsport <laughs> gurus. Like there's the Italian Greg Rust and there's the German Lee Diffie and there's the they're, they're French two, Neil they're Compton. Two, they're three horrible concepts <laughs> well, to yeah. imagine. And like the uh, – the Dutch Daryl Beatty, who would be a real loose cannon, would be fair to say. I'm not sure he'd get out of the coffee houses. But like very experienced cats. And it's my job, so can the representative of Foca please uh, stand up and ask the two questions? So Shuey's on a stage and I get a microphone and it's like I can still recall you like <laughs> like the feedback, I'm like, oh no, we're off to a bad start. Oh, it's here. not good, not good. And I asked him, I can't remember what I asked him. Um, this tape would exist somewhere, Noons. We'll find it. Uh, we will find it. It would exist somewhere. And he said, I, I don't understand your accent. I was like, okay. Ooh, so I asked ouch. him the same question again. And he said, I still don't understand your accent. And the moderator goes, that's your two questions. <laughs> <laughs> So that was it. That's the first person I probably interviewed. <laughs> Could have been the last. Well, too. And I'm thinking this is not good. <laughs> I better redeem myself with Eddie Irvine because he wasn't such a star. He, he could do a one on one. So again, the, the the line is halfway down the main straight to do one on ones with Eddie Irvine, and because I'm from, I'm the first guy. So yeah. me and the weasel set up. Eddie Irvine walks in, and he said "fuck" so many times. It was unusable in the interview. It was this and. That and this and that. I couldn't understand what he was saying. I don't think he understood me. And there was nothing that was usable because he just swore the whole way through it. So we went back to base and the boss said, how'd you guys go? You're in Italy for four days. I've got your expense account. Look like you had a good time. Yeah, probably not a great deal we can use. Got a lot of vision. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I think we got the shot of the car <laughs> got the coming shot. out. But yeah, it was a Ugh. baptism of fire, mate. A Very baptism fiery. of fire. Very so fiery. I find it bizarre now when I watch F1 and Mick Schumacher's racing to yeah. think, wow, it was a long time ago now. I must be getting old that I tried to interview your old, old man rather unsuccessfully. <laughs> but you were there. I was there. there. I was there, there mate. Not I was many there. people were. No. Were you the, the only Aussie in among that FOM crew or were um, there a few kicking around? There was one other, a guy called Luke Gillian, who's claimed to fame, if you like, 
Test Cricket. Love Test Cricket. Uh, anyone that likes Test Cricket, he's known as Lukey Sparrow now. Wherever Australia is, he is the bald bloke waving the Australian flag at the cricket in the crowd, whether it be Candy, Colombo, Delhi. So he was the chef. So he, he cooked um, – for 200 blokes for lunch every day. He used to make big barbecues. But he eventually quit and went off following um, the cricket tour. Sam Michael yep. was, I reckon, now you're going to have to correct me here, really early days at Williams. Yeah. Yeah, or Jordan maybe, maybe before. But I, I know that he was doing it. Yep. But it's not like I was going up and chatting to yeah. blokes in Formula 1 teams. I was not at that level. Weber hadn't started racing. In Formula One yeah, at that 02. stage, he was um, yep. which which would have been fantastic, but mate, like my my hero was Villeneuve. I loved Villeneuve. I loved Juan Pablo Montoya, <laughs> just his name. Just like it was gutting when the Americans just dumped the Pablo. Yeah, yeah. When he went to India, like, oh, Juan, Mont- Juan Montoya. No, no, no. Get the Pablo in there. But I think from a racing perspective, I saw Hakkinen win two world titles. Mm. 98, 99, but I saw Villeneuve win and Jacques was my man. Danny Minogue was on the scene. That's so, right, so yeah. she was she I remember her being in the pits, but I was had the race off in her rest. So I remember I said yeah, I'd be in the pits or have the race off, but I'd always come back the Sunday morning so I could watch the race on mm. on my days off. So I was in the grandstand at Hareth when Schumacher took Villeneuve out at the end of the main straight. Yep. Now, see, this is good memory for me because yeah, yeah, I nice, can remember nice. this clearly. 25 years this year. 25 years. There you go. Yeah, and anniversary. I, I remember being gutted and then I remember seeing Villeneuve get out of the gravel trap. But you asked about parties. The end of season, that was the last race of the season, obviously, in Hareth, which is southern Spain, and there was a party in, I want to say, a town called Cadiz. Cadiz in Spain. Cadiz. And everyone from Formula 1 was there. And I'm a bit hazy on the details of the night because it'd been a long season. I was a young man. I was probably drinking um, sangria. But my memory is that Shuey and Villeneuve were serving drinks behind the bar to everybody. And the race was up on the big screens in the bar. And when Shuey crashed into Villeneuve in the race, in the bar, everyone started booing. And the world's most confident man, Michael Schumacher, looked rather sheepish Mm. about the situation. Mm. But the fact that he was there after losing a world title, I had tremendous respect for him. But my man, Jacques, um, he won it. And I loved everything about what he brought to Formula One because he was the he was the sort of Kimmy before Kimmy that had just – He was different, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, he was the, different. The baggy race yeah. suit. And yeah, he had baggy the peroxide blonde suit. hair. Yeah. And he'd just come from winning IndyCar and Indy 500. He didn't care. And just didn't give a shit. He, really. he wasn't the corporate boy no, that they wanted no. – like they had with Coulthard. He wasn't that corporate boy, but he just – Got it done. He had grunge stuff yeah. going on and he wore different clothes. Shame he didn't and- win more championships. He's a very, very talented yeah, racing car yeah, driver. Yeah, that whole thing of, you know, Williams then fell off the map and yeah. then he went to that BAR thing which had, which had all the money in the world and yeah. took a long time. Jock Clear at BAR. That's right. Yeah. There you go, look, British, look American, memory. Oh, it's British, yeah, it's British American well, Racing. Hope, as we record this, you're calling a footy game tonight. I hope you don't wheel out a bit of Jacques, <laughs> a bit of Jacques halfway <laughs> no. through the second quarter at no, Marvel it's, Stadium. It's, it's, um, <laughs> when you gave me a call and said, we do this? I said, I, I'm happy to, but I, I don't. I don't really enjoy talking about myself, but I, I it would be nice to talk car racing with you because, as you say, um, it was something really at the start of my career that I have some really fond memories about and met some fantastic, fantastic people and still got lifelong friends from it. I remember too, after the F1 stuff, I have this memory. This is before I knew you. Mm. Um, 
supercar or V8 supercars yeah. as it was then, Channel 10. Yep. And if I got a, a bit before the whole when you were doing the trackside stuff in the mid-2000s, if I got a memory right that you were sort of like a pit producer, pit reporter, feeding the info. You weren't on camera, no, but you absolutely. were feeding the info back to the truck or to the reporters or the, the producers. Is that what yeah, was yeah, the first no, I, I couldn't Australian tell you. motor racing? Because I, I remember at the time I was just starting as a journo, and I remember thinking, I didn't know who the hell you were. No. And I don't think anyone kind of in the Australian motor racing no. scene did because you'd done nothing here, you'd done it all over there. And I didn't watch V8s growing up, V8 yeah. supercars. I watched Bathurst. That was it because I was a sports yep. fan. Yep. So I couldn't tell you what year it was, but the great Murray Lomax, who you would know well, mm. who was heavily involved. Which is silly enough to give me my first television. There you go. Mm. And me as well. So I showed him some tapes I had of an interview with David Coulthard when I came back. Cause <laughs> Not I, Michael Schumacher. No, 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 no. That, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Unfortunately, that one doesn't exist. From yeah. It must be, it'd be in the form. They found all that centre stuff. The Schumacher's oh, got, it's say, got to be there. The Howie Docker, they right. that one out. It should be a like, short right. old show. So I can't remember what year it was. It was pretty much after the Sydney Olympics. So I, I, I left Formula One because I wanted to work on the Sydney Olympics where I directed and produced some volleyball, which was great fun. And I remember there was an opportunity to work on Friday Night Football at Channel 7. This is my what I really learned about TV or potentially be the pit lane reporter on the V8 to Channel 10. I remember getting a call from Dave Barham, who I worked with for a long time, eventually at Channel 10 on the cricket, him saying, you know that Friday Night Footy, mate, as a producer, because I worked with him at the Olympics and met him, he said, there's been a slight issue. I said, what's the issue? He said, oh, after 45 years, Channel 7's lost the rights to football. That's a big issue. It's like, that's okay. Don't worry. There's this pit thing. I'm all good. So I ring Murray and he doesn't answer and he rings back the next day. He says, mate, about that pit gig. I was like, what's that? He said, oh, we've decided to go with another bloke um, called Daryl Beattie. And I was like, okay. So there was no gig Mm. um, all of a sudden. But Murray got me into being um, a producer, like you said, in the pit lane. So I'd run around and find out what was happening at um, DJR and I'd tell whoever the pit lane reporter was or go back to the producer. So that was basically I was making the coffees. And I can clearly remember being – what was the race that you used to have in Canberra? The GMC 400. We're still thawing out from that one. Bloody hell, that was cold. Queen's birthday weekend, June in Canberra. Who did the scheduling for that? Baird was good in the blue Pertec car. Um, I recall <laughs> Gee, that. This is 2000. Yeah, okay, 2000. But yep. I remember speaking to Billy Woods, and he was the main man. He was the whole, host pro. of the whole thing. And I loved that he had time to speak to me. But not only did he have time to speak to me, Woodsy, and he's as good as I've seen on TV, he had time, which I didn't understand how he could do it. He threw to a break, no notes, anything. He just, you know, here we are, GMC 400 and up next, qualifying after the break. And then it'd be a three-minute ad break. And he sat there and started asking me questions about me. And so you'd worked in Formula One, having, we're having this conversation, and then the floor manager's going, Bill, Bill. And he's like, that's all right. And with about two seconds to go, he turned back to camera, welcome back. And I thought to myself, <laughs> there's no way I could ever do that. I didn't understand at that stage. I could eventually do that because it's practice. But, but yeah, they... they you know, I can tell you stories about those guys that I'd like to talk to you about early days at Channel 10. They really did look after me. Mm-hmm. V8s, people in V8s didn't necessarily, but the Channel 10 crew did. We should point out, different world now to oh, then. Oh, mate. In that time, Channel 10 had the rights and they made the telecasts. Absolutely. Whereas now, from 2007 onwards, supercars make the telecasts in conjunction with whichever they're 
you know, at the moment it's Fox and Channel 7. Channel 10 have had a, a run there for a while. Very different in the political way and the way that the stories can be told, Ooh. the things that they will let happen or won't let happen. Back in that that glory Channel 10 06 era, it was Channel 10 doing it. They had the rights. They had the remit. Did it how they wanted to do That's it. That's exactly right and didn't mind ruffling feathers. So it was once I got involved on the broadcast, which we can talk about, it was Lee Diffie, Neil Crompton, Greg Rust, Daryl Beattie, Kylie King was involved. The mayor. You must call her now the mayor. Yeah. Well, she's a she's star. She's the mayor. She's so she, one of the nicest people she is. I've ever met in sport, motor racing, life. And she was Rihanna before Rihanna. She was yeah. a female pushing the boundaries. Yeah. I had tremendous respect, even at that age, thinking, wow, this is not a tough gig. This is a tough gig for me. Um, I don't want this to sound the wrong way, but the women that have pioneered motorsport broadcasts have had some pretty big walls. They've come up and climbed over. Rihanna's one of those. Kylie King is another. So that was the old days of the Channel 10 in the um, in the light brown shirt. Oh, yes. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> what was that about? <laughs> well, at least it wasn't the chambray of the but late who, 90s. Yeah, well, who thinks, right, we'll put the crew in a light brown shirt. That will look good. That, that will really stand out. So, yeah, mate, I ended up being involved in, in Formula One broadcast. The, the very first one I actually – so I had to do some pit lane stuff at the big races where Daryl needed a hand. But um, trackside, which we can – you know, mm. we both know mm. and love, that was my introduction. But the first live – pit lane I ever did was, and I can recall it, and I can recall the amount of races we're on, it was Adelaide, I don't know what year it was, um, and Grant Denyer had been in the pits previously, and he'd gone on to bigger and better things. I followed a lot of the similar mm. pathways to Grant. We had a lot of similar jobs. He kicked on, and I'm sitting here talking to you, but anyway. Hey, he has already been on this podcast. <laughs> well, there you so, go. So, you know, you're, what you're, number you're was he? Friends. You're what number friends. was he? Oh, 100 and something. So, he's like 115 on before I am. Well, so. it, was, it was COVID. He lives in New South oh, Wales. Yeah, we yeah, did yeah. it online. I wanted to do it in person with you. Yeah, okay. But So, I can remember they gave me... Daniel's freaking race suit. Now, I love the man, but he's about three foot high. And Daniel. you're not. I'm not. So I was in the pit lane, and I remember our producer at the time, Steve Wood, said, oh, mate, just say good day. We'll just welcome you to the team. And I hadn't done any live TV. Everything had been to tape, and, mate, I was nervous uh. beyond nervous. But I remember thinking, if the DJR car here that I'm in front of in the garage catches on fire, everything from halfway down my Calf to my toes is going to be burnt to smithereens because I'm wearing Daniel's race suit. And I've got a high enough voice in the first place, but when the old crotch of the race suit is riding up around your belly button, um, it yeah. was an inauspicious debut, to say the least, mate. The Daniel connection, I remember, because when he was track siding, he was Channel 10 News reporting. Yes. And he used to say to me all the time that, oh, yeah, when people ask me what do I do, I do kid stories and fluffy animal stories. And basically, that's what you and that's doing. what it's I ended up doing like in the he news. Took the baton and went. Hey, that's right, and you, that's you what I ended it. up doing in Channel Ten News, which I knew nothing about. But I really began to get an understanding of television on a show called Trackside, mm. which was produced by a wonderful woman called Rachel Proudman, uh, edited by a very close mate of mine who ended up convincing me to do a podcast called Jarvis Hunter. Remember Jarvi? And, and he's a truly great man. So there's so many talented people that have come through and we would have to make this show. But I can clearly remember the first time we did it was in Adelaide where I had to be in the pits as well and there were seven supports. Like <laughs> freaking seven. So I'm struggling to figure out Hey, who, they weren't live. Come on. I'm struggling easy. to figure out who Craig Baird is. That's my lack of knowledge, right? 
And then you've got the Aussie racing cars and the Formula Ford and the Formula Holden and I don't know. Carrera Cup. Carre- and the all this V8 stuff. Well, Carrera Cup, the was, the, oh, it, Carrera Cup was easy because every time you would just interview Jim Richards <laughs> as a winner. <laughs> so that was really, really easy. But when old mate in the Aussie racing cars, who's um, the bloke that owns the pet food? Stuff. Tony Quinn. Tony Quinn. But then he had an offspring in it as well. Clark and, Quinn. And I couldn't figure out which was which. And Rach, <laughs> like, they would literally walk over and Rach would say, that's Clark Quinn, came second in Aussie racing cars. Because there was that many categories going on. Oh, jeez, you must be happy with the race, Clark. How'd you go? <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. It's good, mate. Yeah, and I, I couldn't ask any detailed questions because th- th- there was that many categories going on. And then we'd go back till all hours of the night, Sunday, Monday night, and, and Rach and Jarv and I would put the show together. Mm. But it was, a, it was a, a crash course. But for any racing car drivers that are listening to this now, that I called you the wrong name or that I had you in the wrong category, <laughs> I sincerely <laughs> apologise, but she was a steep learning curve. Seven categories is hard. Mate, seven categories. Times 25 or 30 cars each. And we had to cover every one of them. Yep, yep. I get it. I'm with you. <laughs> it wasn't uh, easy. Well, because back in those days, it was none of those support categories, bar maybe at Bathurst, would be in the V8 supercar broadcast. No. They were all packaged up, recorded, edited together, and then commentated on by Rusty and That's right. Cameron Conville and Mark Osler Conville, and all the yeah. guys um, in Sydney in the aftermath, and they'd get rolled out in the, the weeks exactly. after. And they kind of filled the gap before the next V8 round. Whereas now, of course, it's the all-you-can-eat seafood stir-fry That's extravaganza. Right. That's right. She's on from nine to six on Fox, and you get every single session and every category. The, the, those, oh. those drivers were outstanding to me, um, and we can get to the V8 drivers mm-hmm. and the teams when you sort of make that step. But uh, I remember the up-and-coming star, he was going to be the next – Ayrton Senna was Chris Pither in a V8 ute, lovely kid. Yeah. But you'd meet their families because they were backing their kids and they'd bring you in and explain because they wanted camera time. So it was quid pro quo. But those early days, especially the support people, the men and women behind it all, the love they gave to me, a bloke that had no idea what he was doing and they didn't know from a bar of soap like you said, I'll never forget those people the way they helped me out because they could have burnt me, which happened a lot in the V8s, um, but the supports I couldn't speak more highly of. Who burnt you the worst in V8s? Come on now, name names. <sighs> we, we will know them and we can go and remonstrate with them now. So it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a double-sided thing. So there was people – I can tell you who was wonderful. Um, so then I, I would have to do the pits for – Bathurst mm. and Adelaide and, and the larger races. And like you said, no one knew who I was. And, you know, I didn't know crew chiefs' names and stuff like that. I, I was struggling to figure out who the drivers were at this stage, but I was quickly learning how to get around what you didn't know. Um, I'm not going to tell you which. No, give us the good ones well, rather than I, the bad ones. I, well, no, I'll tell you. Or give us the give us the scenarios rather than the names. Stone and... Brothers. Mm-hmm. There was someone in that garage that gave me – not a driver, gave me the biggest spray I've ever had in television and I've had some good ones. Ever? Ever. Like more than an exec at Channel oh, 10 yeah, or no, Fox like or just this a, is epic. This is paint peeling stuff um, off can, the wall. Can you just tell me what's the problem with the car? Why don't you get the out of here? You shouldn't be in here. Never come in here again. F off. Oh, I was... But the V8s then, mate, it was the Wild West. Like Ingle and Scaife and and, the, and Ambrose were racing. I'm not. They they weren't. They I I wouldn't approach Ingle, Scaife, Ambrose. You just wouldn't. It's funny that you say that because I've experienced that too, where you 
I guess you're at a certain age point. You're also at a certain point of your career and your position in that world that you kind of get a. It's not, it's like you get attracted to the people that you you oh I met that guy somewhere along the line so you go to them yeah. he might be the guy that's twenty first in Absolutely. the race a lovely bloke the the young up and comer Will Davison or Mark Winterbottom who don't have the swagger of multiple Bathurst wins and championships and I'm a factory driver that's and all that sort of so stuff so spot on you mate. play to that which I'm sure is the same in any field or and sport. that's what I did so the positive side you're spot on I'm indebted to Will Davison. I'm highly indebted to Garth Tander because he was winning Bathurst and things like that, but he was a smiling, welcoming face whenever I needed to know something. He said, just come and ask me, mate. And when you're finding your way, I, I never forget that. I see Garth occasionally and I, I seriously want to give the man a hug because he was so good to me. Gary Rogers and Dick Johnson, there was other team managers, but those are the two that stuck in my mind. Gary couldn't have been nicer and Dick, Dick, Dick just said, pal, pal. If you need to know anything, pal, come and see me, pal. Mm. And it didn't matter what happened. Stevie could have put the car under the side of the wall at the mountain and you could go to Dick and he would tell you what had happened. So they, there were some people that were really hard to deal with, but there were others that were fantastic to deal with. And the people I work with at 10 on air, I'm indebted to for everything they did for me. Now, you might have to be indebted to me here. Go on. So I may or may not now have the archive tapes, master tapes, of the mid-2000s of Trackside. So what's it worth to you, old Howie, mate, for me to make those blooper reels just disser on peer out the back door? Listen, if you've got Schumacher from the launch, a lot, I'd be... Yeah, it wasn't on Trackside, I'd be safe. Just Uh, Trackside, just Trackside. Yeah, I'd be interested to see, have you gone back and looked at much of those? Not yet, but I, right. I can on YouTube for yeah, all their no, listeners. I, I don't think the people out there need to see it. I don't think the people out there need to see it. Um, <laughs> probably was some pretty average gear. I still do average gear now, so I can imagine how average it was then. But it was can, – can I talk about the people I worked on air with? Absolutely. So I, I work with Lee Diffie, who is now – at the last Olympics, mm. called the men's 100 meter final. Oh, on, and the Indy 500 on American the same television year. Yeah. and the Indy oh. 500. I work with Greg Rust, who I know VH is very political, but I don't. I don't really care what I say here. He's as good a broadcaster I've worked with, and how he has not been on the broadcasts of that consistently for the last 20 years, I do not know. He is the most passionate broadcaster I've ever worked with. So I worked with them and I worked with Daryl Beattie and then got to share a studio with him in the middle of the night covering um, MotoGP for eight years at Channel 10, just eating sausage rolls and trying not to get caught out, eating sausage rolls on tape, on camera. <laughs> those, What those blokes did to me and how they took me under their wing and um, made me very sick a few times, especially after Bathurst, especially Diffie and Beattie from Nights Out. But what they did for me and the love they gave me and Rusty – included in that is like no way I've been treated and I try and pass that on to young people that come in a broadcast with me now because it meant so much that that respect they gave me and the happiness to share their knowledge and how they prepared was uh, I love those blokes and I love everything they did for me I really really do um and then as I got as then I progressed and did more recent V8s with Channel 10 Matty White's as good as there is but then the drivers because they would know me then from cricket or footy broadcasts, Jamie Winkup, Mark Winterbottom, 
Jack Perkins, James Courtney. I, I said it was a rough start, but of all the sports I've worked on, the modern V8 supercar driver as a general whole are the best athletes I've ever dealt with. One, because they wear hats that get them paid, so I understand that. But whether it's, you know, Lowndes or Dave Reynolds or the guys I've mentioned, the most approachable, friendly, easy to deal with, happy to work with you to get a result group of athletes I've ever worked with. And I think they're fantastic. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. This is something I want to ask you, because you're in, you're in footy and cricket, that's your, your bread and butter, yep. and you're in real sport land. You know, you're in broad reach, the, yep. the two sports that are the standouts in the country. Yep. Motorsport's not... There, it's still more niche. It's isn't more it? niche. Yep, yep. Totally. But a passionate niche. Oh, and I would, a just passionate about, I would just about argue that the hardcore motorsport supercars fan is even more hardcore than AFL. No, fan, I agree if with that's you. Possible. I agree because with AFL, you. I'm one of them. They're pretty. Mate, I've been to Bathurst countless times. I Ford Holden, mate. Ford Holden. You have to give an answer. Don't say Mitsubishi. No, you can't. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> but your t- and I was really interested. I thought you would say that about the supercar driver, how they're perceived and how they deliver as media performers and. We don't get scandals in the paper. We don't see it like we do with cricketers or AFL or NRL. And there's a little part of me that that worries me, which sounds strange, but it worries me because it means, look, we know there are scandals that go on in mm. supercars and motorsport with mm. the people involved, with their personal lives or with political things or stuff that's meaty and juicy. It never gets into the paper. Now, is that more a reflection of good luck or the fact that the people who are deciding what goes in these papers in the sports sections don't care enough? It's a fantastic question. I'll answer it a couple of ways for you. I did a podcast on the podcast I do with Elise Perry, and I was asking her about how the coverage of women's cricket had changed in her career, and she said it won't have got to an acceptable level till I pick up a paper and talk about how disappointing Perry was with the ball or the bat. Mm. She said... I can make three ducks in a row at this stage. This is three years ago. It's probably starting to change now. Um, and there'll be no negativity written about me. No she one's said, calling for your head no. for you to be dumped the next She said there should be. There yeah. should be. So the V8s, you know, there's, there's obviously been a couple of highly high-profile, highly publicised stories that have made their way into the paper. I don't know. I, 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 I probably like it the way it is because – I steer clear of negativity. I never bring any negativity into a broadcast, whether it's a football call or a cricket call. I always think, Noons, when people are piling into an AFL player that's done something wrong, Jordan Ngoi is a prime example of what we're talking about at the moment. I'm a parent now. I think about – this is why I'm not a hardcore journo. It's not my role. I think about Mr. and Mrs. Ngoi and how they're feeling seeing their son being torn apart on the front page of the paper. And he's made some horrible mistakes, don't get me wrong, but I'm a bit of a soft touch like that. So I like that the sport doesn't get dragged through the mud, but I understand what you're saying. If it, if it, was, if it was one of the major two sports in the country, then that would happen because mm. there's more interest. Um, but sometimes those scandals and 
you know, that's that's been the great success of Drive to Survive, hasn't it? It's brought some of this stuff to light and look what's happened to Formula One. Like people so, used to want to see England scape punch on um, outside the motorsport fraternity. So sometimes you need those rivalries or scandals to bring the wider audience in, I reckon. Mm. What do you reckon? Yeah, we, we – when I say – it's funny. We say it a lot, we, because we feel as whether – and I'm talking mainly supercars, but motorsport, we're all in this little pond. Mm. It's a little pond compared to AFL, cricket, NRL. So when you wee in the pond, like the blokes weeing on the cables yeah. at Hockenheim, yeah. Yeah. everyone's, ugh. Yeah. It's not big enough that if someone has a little wee in the corner, ah, oh, whatever, you know, it's a big enough behemoth that whatever, yep. it's not like, yep. it's not like, you know, you pee in the pool and it's pretty obvious with the chlorination colour. It's sort of, yeah. I don't know how we got into peeing in no, pools. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I know I, what you mean. I sort of feel like we, and, and, and I keep saying we because it's so drummed into us that it's sort of like a travelling roadshow in, in a way. It I, is. I feel and, sometimes and, that that works against it too. Well, I think also there's so many positives about controlling your own broadcast. So you talked about when Channel 10 was the host, now V8 Supercars. Now, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't watch enough of it to see editorially what they do. But at the end of the day, V8 Supercars are controlling what you're seeing on television. Now, they do it, – It's a, it is – a world-leading product, though. The radios and shots and the stuff that old Prenderfest, Nathan Prendergast, has done um, and those that have laid the path before him, it's an unbelievable broadcast. But are you seeing warts and all? I don't know. I'm not saying you're not. I, I don't, don't know. you can. And you, you, you won't. Well, because it's your product. Yeah, of course. It's your product. Whereas, you know, I'll, I'm calling Carlton versus Fremantle tomorrow so people understand that is filmed and produced by Fox. Um, and when I go and do the first test, it's filmed and produced by Fox. Cricket Australia aren't giving us the pictures. So if 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 Warner's giving broader spray and Cricket Australia's controlling it and they don't want that, then you don't see that at home. And you can't talk about it. No, and you can't yeah. talk about it. So it's it's a, it's a tricky one controlling your own broadcast, but mm. they've done a bloody good job of it. Mm. Yeah, it's got a lot of benefits. I don't want to sound like we're, uh, we're smashing them. It's, enormous benefits. It's got heaps of benefits. Enormous benefits. It. And it's also a sport where – like someone that's entrenched as you are in it and is part of the woodwork of the sport, you've got to be careful coming on here to me and having a crack at V8 supercars because it has ramifications because it is such a tight industry. It's a, it's a, it's a political caper. It's a little pond. Yeah. You win little pond. It is. Ugh. I learnt that. I mm. learnt that early doors. Oh, did you win in the pond? No, I didn't, but I saw those that did uh, and I yeah. saw it wasn't a pretty outcome. No, no. It wasn't a pretty outcome. No, not a good taste. No. Um, no. You mentioned earlier a fellow called Jarvis Hunter. Yes. Uh, remember Jarvis very well. He worked on the trackside team for quite a long time. Is he kind of the guy who gave you the push to do the Howie Games, the he podcast? Did. Because there's a motor racing connection here in that um, you, you can tell it. I want you to tell it. But you basically did a, an interview with Lewis Hamilton for TV for Channel 10, yeah. an Aussie Grand Prix. Yep. And this is my I, I'm a, I've got a print background, so I tend to, when I went into television, I wrote too much rather than let the pictures do the, the talking. Cropping yeah. used to smash me about it, still does. So it frustrated me that you had all this good stuff and you just couldn't fit it in. And that's basically what happened where you got a very good chat with Lewis yep. and nowhere to put most of it. Well, Lewis Hamilton, people are divided. Again, he he wouldn't know me from a bar of soap, but he has been fantastic with me. So the years we did it at 10 were his becoming dominant years. So I'd interview him after qualifying, after the race, and I'd always get the opportunity to sit down with him one-on-one before the race. So you develop some form of rapport. 
it's not like he knows who you are. He's not going to drop in how he's on you, but he's, he's a familiar face and he's used to answering your questions. So, yeah, we did a sit down with Lewis. Um, I think it was in St Kilda. And for those that aren't aware, you know, he, he's the most in-demand driver there is and still is for for, for um, all sorts of reasons. You probably get five minutes with Lewis and then the Austrians – uh, set up and they sit down with them. And for whatever reason, it was an interview that was connecting through fashion and surfing and not a great deal of motorsport because I find him, and music, I find him a fascinating fella. And so the five minutes bled out to 26 minutes and their media manager said, we need to go. And he was, oh, I can remember him saying, no, it's all right, I'm happy to keep chatting, um, which was fantastic for Channel 10 and the broadcast. Mm. And we were on air Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a lot of hours. And I think they cut it up five-minute feature on Lewis Hamilton. It was a bloody brilliant edit. It was a great story and it was a great insight into him. But I was of the opinion, and I was starting to get more experienced at this stage, it wasn't my first rodeo, that, you know, what about the other 23 minutes of Lewis Hamilton? Like we're running tyre degradation stories, which I never understood on a broadcast because it just, I think to me it just sends people to sleep. But uh, we were running tyre deg stories and et cetera. I was like, why why aren't we running three parts of Lewis Hamilton? Mm. Um, I don't need to be in it. But just over the weekend, let's run 20 minutes of Lewis Hamilton. And there was no time in the constraints of commercial TV. And I was bitching and whining to Jarvi in the edit suite who'd cut it. I was like, mate, this is bullshit. Like people are never going to see this. And he said to me, you should do a podcast with these people you get the opportunity to speak to. And so this is five, five and a half years ago. And I clearly remember saying, what's a podcast? He said, show me your phone. And he said, that purple button there, it's podcast. Um, so I, I had no idea what they were and I recorded my first one maybe three or four, four weeks later. So um, you go the full circuit. So Jarvie knows this story. So I'm indebted to him for setting me on what's been probably the most enjoyable part of my career, which is recording podcasts, which is what we're doing now. And there's plenty of motorsport people that have popped yeah. up over the journey. Which you, know, you get a bit of everyone from all sorts of sports, broadcasters, sports yep. people, both current and, and retired from you know pretty much every angle and not just Australian as well. You've had plenty of, of overseas people. I did the list. Yeah. Of motorsport people. Oh, right. Okay. Toby Price, Jamie Winkup, Scott McLaughlin, Jack and Larry Perkins, Alan Jones, Martin Brundle, Dan Ricardo, Lewis, Robbie Madison, James Courtney, Mark Webber, McDoohan. Right. That's backwards from most recent. It's pretty good, isn't it? It's a pretty good lineup. There's some some pretty good stuff among there. So I'm interested in your take on a couple of those people and and the way that you've had to do that, but we've all, you know, the world changed where you and I are sitting down, we've got some microphones, we're in the same room. Whereas for two or so years, you had to yeah. do it yep. via Zoom. or Which was a negative, but it was a positive because it opened up the, the world of mm. international. Well, I, I could tell you a story about every one of those, but you ask me who, who interests you and I'll tell you. I'm interested in your take on Jamie Winkup. So He's ja- a different cat. He's a very different cat, I reckon. Jamie Winkup was as a result of him doing a book, um, a fantastic book. And I never felt I got to the gist of Jamie Winkup the whole time I worked on broadcasting. Um, and I know that that's how the V8 world feel. Yep, yep. And I remember starting that podcast. I remember him sitting outside. He was in Queensland um, at home. And uh, you'd have to go back and listen to it. But I remember by saying, mate, you're one of the most high-profile athletes in this country, yet I don't think anyone knows anything about you. Is that your choice or not? And he's like, yeah, it is. That's how he's always been. He said, I'm a private person. He he spoke wonderfully well. Um, and I've got tremendous respect for him and the way he treats people. Um, but he's just a guy that let his racing do the talking and, you know, he's, he's a team boss now. Um, at that stage, he had a young one on the way and we were talking about 
whether he was going to engineer the pram to make it sharper than the <laughs> pram next door. Um, yeah, I've got tremendous respect for him, and he was he was always good for me. He is not a guy that was a natural media performer, but yeah, I, I probably got partway there, but probably didn't get the full Jamie Wink up. But I enjoyed chatting with him tremendously. He's very much like that. Uh, I reckon that we don't fully know. No, we don't. The full Jamie Wink up, and uh, the mystery is a good thing. Yeah, because we live in a world now of Everything. social media where. Athletes and sports people and TV stars can open up and provide so much more access and knowledge about what they've had for breakfast and everything beyond that. Oh, especially that when, social when media. someone doesn't offer it up, yeah, it's sort of not the norm anymore. Yeah. So it's kind of a. It, it was like, you know, I grew up in the eighties and nineties. So you went down to the the newspaper shop. Newspaper shop. I'm sounding really old. The news agents <laughs> or the milk bar to buy the, the the fortnightly motor racing magazine to read about the latest news and things. Whereas now you get it in yeah. two seconds flat, and quite often you get it direct from the person it's about. Yeah. And we have this expectation of these people giving us and telling us everything because we've kind of got drunk on we have. access and content and tell me everything because you owe it to us, which is yeah, not the case. You're spot on. And I think the thing that really struck me, I wanted to know how Jamie kept fronting up year after year and he talked about his drive and his obsession with winning and the fact that they win the championship and he'd be in at the uh, the next day or the day after in at the factory saying, right, what are we going to do to improve next year? To the point where he said he put so much energy into it. He actually said along the lines of, I don't know whether I'll have a long life because of what I put myself through to achieve what I did. Like for, for 14 years of his life, it was never enough. So you win, but you're back tomorrow figuring out how to become better. So he's a fascinating chat and I'm sure he'd do a great job as a team manager. Transcending the sport. Yeah. Is something you've seen in other sports. That's so right. In motor racing, Peter Brock, for sure. Craig Lowndes, next in the line. I mean, we've seen, you know, warning, cricket, yeah. transcends it, blows it away. Not just a cricket guy, but we saw with what happened this year, it goes far beyond those realms. AFL, there's been various people across, you know, Buddy's probably a, yeah, a, a big one that's, that sticks out to me. As a bit of an outsider and out of motorsport, but an interested observer, who do you see? as the next supercar guy who could. They might not now, but they could transcend the sport. Well, Timmy Hodges, who you would know well, he keeps telling me, um, and I've been trying to organise, I haven't got round to it yet, Thomas Randall. He, mm. He's got I, – I, I don't know because I don't watch enough of it. I, he tells me this man's got everything required to be the next Scotty McLaughlin. Um, is that anywhere near the money? Showing signs. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's only just starting yep. in the main game. So, yep. um, Well, Van Gisbergen is obviously the undoubted star, but he is a very he, difficult media performer. But he's not a star. From He's a star race performer, yep. but he's not a performer in any other. That's because he, issues, he doesn't want to be. because he issues the media. Like, I've had him oh, burn me live totally. on air not wanting yep. to speak, and that, yep. that's his he choice. He does it to his own co-driver, yeah. Garth Tan, yeah. at least. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, just not his bag. It's yeah. not his thing. Uh, so Chaz, Chaz Moston, uh, or do you have to win enough, often enough, and be the champ? I think so, and then be the great, interesting, quirky guy as well. I as think so to make people outside our so, world. So Dave Reynolds, if if he becomes a consistent winner, he could be because he's the full package. He's the entertainment package. So we're in the entertainment industry. Mm. So I can watch the V8s, or I can watch Drive to Survive on Netflix, or I can watch at the click of a button that fantastic. Um, James Hunt, Nicky Lauder film. Like, I, I, Rush. Yeah, Rush. There's so many opportunities now to watch other stuff noons. So 
I think you've got to stand out with performance and as a media performer. Um, but then in some ways you look at Dusty Martin. He's just done it through playing football and being a bit different mm. um, and having appeal. He doesn't do any media. Just a couple on that list. That we, we recorded one here where we're in Triple M now with James Courtney before a Grand Prix. I, I knew James through Jack, who's one of my best friends from V8 Supercar World. Um, I love that kid and I love his dad. Um, he's a star, he's Jack. Um, and he said, you should speak to Courtney. And I was like, yeah. And we spoke about, you know, testing a Formula One car and having that crash and what it did to him physically and mentally. But I don't know how it came up, but he talked about the fact that he was dyslexic. And I didn't know it was coming. I hadn't read anything about that. I didn't know that. And he was quite emotional about how difficult it was him to get up in front of school and speak because his letters and numbers and words wouldn't come the right way and how he still finds it difficult to, to get in front of race crews um, because of his dyslexia. That that blew me away. Mm. Um, For someone who seems so yes, so assured and smiley on the telly, did dancing yeah. with the stars and on podiums and life of the party t- type of guy. Yeah. Did you find in this, you know, not just the James situation but other chats, that the podcast when there's not a TV camera and a red light. Yep. Disarms people absolutely without them even realizing that the, the amount of times people have said or I've been approached to put the show on uh, as a television product, and I'm like, Yeah, but there's going to be lights and there's going to be cameras, and it doesn't work. We don't have the intimacy it's that we different. have, yeah. I totally agree, yeah, I totally agree. Um, my mother, main takeaway I'm taking up too much of your time now, but speaking of Brundle, was I love that roaming. Gridwalk style, and I've, I've tried to bring it to the cricket. And Brian Taylor's done it brilliant on the footy. I love that form of broadcasting. We used to do it in the pits at the paddock at Formula One, and it was straight out of Martin's playbook. But he came on and said how much he hated the pit walk, and I was like, "Really?" But it's so good. He's like, "Yeah, I hate it. I hate doing it. I don't like it. It's just awkward." And I was like, "Yeah, but that's the that's the great part of it. To me, that is still um, the best part of Formula One race is watching that. Like, and some of the people, the way they've treated him recently, like in Miami." You know, I don't even know who the lady was, but if you're going to be out there on the grid and you're going to use this promotion and you can't just say, hi, I'm having a fantastic day in Miami, I'm looking to the race, you shouldn't be out there. No, no. Um, agree 100%. Yeah, he's a star. He's a star, Martin Brundle. The, the, uh, it's like, I love uh, Train Crash TV. That, that's the beauty of it. You just it don't know. It's boring when you see the producer down the line having teed up the next person for them to go talk to. That's you. right. Because you go, no, 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 no. That's not the beauty of And this. that's the bit of TV that I love. That's what I love to do. Any broadcast I, I work on, I push to do that live, not in front of the sponsor's board because I know it's a tremendous risk but it's tremendously rewarding. It's tremendously fun and you get to – try and do everything that you've learnt over the mm. years from that kid that was in Denya's race suit not being able to speak to be able to just say, right, I'm just going to walk through the paddock for six minutes and talk. Yeah. It's bloody good fun. Yeah. Bloody good fun. Can I just – one other person that I reckon um, is as good as I have seen in any form of broadcasting is Mark Larkham. I think – and because of the V8 world, I know people have different opinions. The way he treated me and the way he would explain things to me in my last few years at Channel 10 about the race and the way it would work and his ability to do that Martin Brundle style of thing, you know, and I know he was out of the broadcast for a while and he's back in the broadcast mm. now. Like he is as good as there is in special comments. I work with cricketers in special comments or footy players. He's, to me, he's the special comments role. I think he's outstanding. 
Outstanding at what he does. Well, like I don't it. see Nick Rewald or Nathan Buckley or Jason Dunstall dropping full brake discs on their foot. No, 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 that's you know, true. Or smashing that's iPads. Mid- well, no, maybe that's they true. do, but we just don't get that's to see true. it. But, but he brings that to time as well, what and, we're talking about. It's he a brings bit of some that sizzle. hole, where's it going to go yeah. with Larko? Every yeah. time he fires on and the, the mic goes, uh, we kind of know where it's going. He brings sizzle, mate. But he you brings don't sizzle. know exactly where it's going. Yeah. So. No, if, yeah, I, don't, I don't know if Mark listens to this show. but um, Oh, mate, he's analogue, mate. He doesn't have socials. Right. I don't think he has pods. Well, he needs he, to He'll be sitting this. on a farm drinking a beer right now. Well, he's so. a star. He, he goes very, very, very good. Well. Hey, what's your dream drive? What would you like? What, what would you like to have a, a go? Have you, have you driven a race car of any sort? Or just yeah, go for I, a ride or two? I have. I drove an Audi. At a, at a race day for, what was that for? It was back, it was at 10. Um, was this at Phillip Island? Yeah, yeah. Like a drive day type yeah. thing? Yeah, yep, drive day. And uh, like we did a couple of laps. We were allowed to drive this amazing car by ourselves, quickly too, quickly for me. And then, um, I can't remember if you tell me the name, he's a drive instructor, but he races V8s. Anyway, he's like, okay, now we'll... we'll um, put water across the track down at Honda Hairpin and try and get the car sideways. This is what you need to do. And he's like, accelerate, then brake, and then accelerate, and what are you going to try and do? Um, I can't remember what this show was for. You'd be able to find it somewhere. And I got my brake and acceleration rather mixed up. And when I started sliding towards the edge of the track, uh, I hit the accelerator rather than the brake and stuck this Audi in some mud at decent speed and mud went everywhere and like the driving instructor was pissed um and that was sort of the end of my driving didn't get an invite operations back. no yeah. no but um I, I i was lucky enough with randy mamela to go on the two seat oh man motorbike. have you done Philip that Island? oh yeah i mean i can't fit on that mate well you go you know the corners but you go down the straight then you go left 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 and then eventually you go right and it's I thought I was going to end up in Bass Strait. It's as fun a thing as I've ever done. I loved it. Like I've been in the V8s. Jack's taken me in the V8s, and I loved it, but the being on the bike. But as far as a dream ride, I'm not really a car guy. I, I started with a Mazda that I borrowed from my mum. Then one of my favourite cars, I had a Holden Ute. I started oh, nice. buying Utes. Yeah, nice. um, and then we had kids, and my wife, beautiful wife, said, you can't drive a Ute. There's nowhere for the kids. So I came home with a Holden Crewman. <laughs> Because <laughs> it was room in the back. Ticking both boxes. Yeah, and then um, the first time I've ever bought myself a new car was three years ago. I bought a Ford Ranger. Um, and I don't necessarily love cars, but I love what Utes represent. I True. love it. Like I've True. got surfboards in the back. Uh, I've got the Young Blokes cricket gear in the back, and it's just like I feel like I should be cruising down the road, drinking a beer game in the 80s, <laughs> pouring it all over my face on a surf trip. <laughs> love it. Love it. <laughs> hey, another thing we have in common yeah. you know, that we share a passion for is yep. – uh, the Mighty Hawthorne football. The Mighty Hawks who are playing tonight as we're doing this. As we're recording this, they're playing against the Dogs tonight. This is a few weeks ago when you probably listened to this when we let this one go. Um, so Sam Mitchell, of course, now the, the coach and yes. long-time player, premiership player, Brandlow medals, all that stuff. Did you know his motor racing link? No. I never twigged this until I read his book, and I thought it would just be an interesting right. topic where we can mould together the things that we like right. into okay. a chat. Was... And it might come up somewhere for you. So a little bit of content for, right, you, eh? for well, maybe for Mitch. Well, I'm future. commentating tonight, so I might just drop Never this know. in. You might be able to drop this in somewhere. So I read his book. Yep. Really relentless, it was called. And that's he, what he is, and very driven. You could tell me more from being – He's Jamie Winkup of football. Yeah, yeah. So And he's now the coach. Jamie's now yep. the coach Triple Eight. And it said in Among It, and as I started to read a chapter, I went, oh, 
you know something clicks before you yeah. fully read the sentence? Yeah. His dad, Wayne, raced touring cars in the 70s. Wayne Tirana, Mitchell. Tirana L34 V8s. Really? Yep. And as soon as he said <laughs> that his parents had met through cars, I thought my stupid little encyclopedia brain went, Mitchell, Wayne Mitchell, privateering. Dad. Ah, oh, that's pretty cool. There you go. There you go. Never knew that. And that Wayne sold his Tirana in the 70s too. Peter Brock. No. When Peter Brock had left the factory holding no. team, he went as a privateer to the Gaunhindoff team and then he made Team Brock, his own team. They didn't have a car. <laughs> and in those days, Tirana, you went and got a Tirana road car and then you built it into a race car. You didn't purpose build it like they do now. So they needed a car. <laughs> he was a privateer that needed some cash, sold his car. That became the Peter Brock, Team Brock, Bathurst right, car. So was Wayne Mitchell, was he a guru? A privateer runner, okay. you know, did the Victorian so rounds, didn't go to Bathurst, but did the, you know, the Calders and the Sandowns right. and, and that sort of thing in the 70s. This I did so, not know. And I tracked him down and I did speak to him for a, a little yarn for Muscle Car Magazine. This is probably, I think this is when Sam was coaching at West Coast, so a okay. couple of years ago now. Right. So, I'll have to go back know? in the archives. So, and, and that was when Brock had started the 05 thing. But they wouldn't let him run 05 everywhere because some of the, the tracks just didn't get their head around the whole, no, it's five. It's got to be five. Well, what number was Sam Mitchell for many years? Five. Ding. So I'm doing numerology, sleuthing, football. This is good, I, I don't know where you can use this. Was somehow. the five a connection or is that just purely uh, no, unrelated? No, Brock had to use it on that car. But what about Mitch? Well, of course, five at Hawthorne's, Crimmins. Crimmins, yeah. Peter Crimmins, the great Peter Crimmins yep. that was retired for many years. And I think, who did Sam get it from? Daniel Harford, I think. He yeah, from. I don't yeah, know. Could have been, so, yeah. Anyway, he didn't start with five, but he ended up with five for the, the guts <laughs> of his career. So Good a little story. bit of a Mitchell Brock. I like that. Tying, there's always a way to tie up a Brock story. Of course there something. is. What's your favourite Hawthorne memory before we go? As a punter and as a as a broadcaster? Uh, as, as a, well... Uh, as a punter, I went with my good mate who turned into one of Australia's great comedians, Will Anderson, to the 1989 Grand Final. Oh, you were there? Yeah, we were oh. there. Um, oh. Will was singing the Geelong song in front of a pack of Geelong bikies, We Are Geelong and We're a Pack of Knobs, and we nearly <laughs> got our heads punched in. That was a fond memory. Um, my two favourite, well, one's a broadcasting, one's a, a work one. I was lucky enough to interview Buddy as he kicked his 100th goal when, yep. he ran up, that night. when he ran up the race. I didn't run on the ground. Um, and, and no one had really spoke to a footballer in the middle of a game before. That was extraordinary. And I compared him to Mick Jagger, and I do not know why I did that. Um, but he was a rock star. But I was very lucky to be asked three times in a row to host the Hawks function the day after the grand final at Glen Ferry. Great. So I wasn't asked in 12 when they lost the grand final, but you got a front up either way. Mm, so you, you get a running sheet, win or lose. Mm. Um, but for 13, 14, and 15, I was at Glen Ferry on the stage presenting the players, um, and that is something that as a kid growing up loving the Hawks and you're interviewing Cyril about the Norm Smith or Hodges holding three cups as a footy fan, and my kids were old enough to come along, and I remember seeing a young bloke in the front row with his Hawthorne jumper on, he's probably four. That's a really special memory because he was wearing the footy jumper, the Hawks footy jumper that I was given by my dad, and it, she, he was he was pretty warm. He was sweating it up because it was the old, <laughs> the old long sleeve yeah. woolen <laughs> operation. Um, God bless the Hawks. Love it. Love it. Sensational. Um, Howie Games podcast. Yep. Who could you grab from motorsport next? Go high. Go hard. Well, go Scotty top. McLaughlin, I sent on Scotty's – I love Scotty McLaughlin. I love that he was prepared 
to become a small fish in a big pond. Mm. Um, he's been on the show twice. Um, I love everything that he represents. He's a great he's a great fella. Um, I was speaking to him and he said you should try and get Jimmy Johnson on. So I he could tee it up. I made a video saying. G'day, Jimmy. This is who I am. I'm in Australia. Scotty forwarded to the people. Nothing's happened yet, but I think he would be outstanding. And Diff said to me that I need to get Mario Andretti on. Yeah. Um, and Diff's been on the show. So I think either of those two would be bloody mind-blowing. I, I, Lewis appears on the podcast, but it was from a 20-minute Channel 10 interview. Um, I'll get him on for a, a, a long sit-down at some stage, I hope. he did, like He's, to me, the pinnacle of motorsport. He's the pinnacle driver in the pinnacle category and he brings showtime and I love it. Mm. I love the showtime he brings to the whole caper. And a bit of fashion is to work too. Yeah, you, Lewis or Max? I'm oh, really neither. I'm really? really neither. So I, who I, are you going for? I, I, I can was, see the, the – the, Well, the, who were you going for last year when it was the best Formula One season in the history of the planet? When I nearly fell off the couch? Yeah. I, I had nearly fallen asleep. I thought this is a done deal. This is a Lewis race. Did Massey do the right thing or not? Now I'm putting the heat on you. This is an area yeah, I do understand. This is not the Howie games. This no. is the Noonan well, games. Well, did he make but the right decision or not? I think he did. Do you think Max deserved to be world champion? I or th- do you think Lewis deserved to be oh, world champion? I think even before that element, I think they both deserve to be the champion, but the bit before that, that Massey was let down in a, in a perfect storm scenario of a lot of these things all coinciding at the same point, but there was runs on the board from previous events where he had been drilled clearly mm-hmm. to have a race. So go back to Spa, place yep. you've been before, where Absolutely. they did that two-lap race, yep. where they sent them out and drove them around so they could officially have a race so they didn't have to refund money, so they didn't have to refund tickets. Yeah. So what do you want the guy to do when he's presented with the scenario right. next that you've kind of pushed him into going, let's go car racing, we've got to have a race? Um, and I sort of get the impression too that the whole wave around, you know, he didn't let them all through. I reckon that there was a breakdown somewhere in communication. It's just a that. shame, wasn't it? And, and it was... what, what, what saddens me most is, and Michael is a sensational guy, rippingly good from at all what reports. he does. From, you know, we've known him right through supercars and super touring two litres back in the day. Um, one of the best administrators I've ever seen or worked with in the sport, and here he is just turfed. Yeah, to the side because now you Google his name for for years to come, and it's Abu Dhabi twenty twenty one. I think he was poorly dealt with. I, I I was throwing things at the TV. My wife, um, she's a massive Max, and I'm a massive Lewis. And I, I, oh, I did I, scream on the couch we purely having, for the situation. We were I was like, babe, can we really be bluing at one thirty in the morning about a car race? <laughs> um, but I rang Jackie Perkins the next morning. I said, righto, you got to ask Larry because he gave me his opinion. I said, okay, but. But I want to know from Larry, and he texted me back. Said Larry said Michael did the right thing. I said, well, if that's what Larry says, that's good enough for me. Good enough indeed. Good enough from a man who has raced. That's right. Formula One. That's right. That's right. A lot of people forget that along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, mate. Really Thank appreciate you, mate. it. Um, I enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it, actually. Oh, it's I, I been thought good. you might like to talk about motor racing, which normally is not sort of in your the wheelhouse yeah, these days. People don't you, really associate it with me. Yeah, um, you do. Plenty of footy, plenty of cricket. You know, we see you and hear you on Fox and Triple M all the time. So, mate, loving the Howie games and love what you've done with it. It's uh, it, it inspires the podcaster among us all, I reckon, out there. So if you uh, if you dream big enough and you get the right little opportunity and a door opens here or there, it's amazing where you end up. So, mate, thanks for having us. And this is the last day, actually, yes. we're recording in the Triple M, the M studio. So we are literally getting kicked out right now. Yeah, uh, mate, I appreciate the opportunity 
for anyone that's listening, um, if you have been part of my motorsport journey and I haven't mentioned you, I'm sorry because there's been so many people that have helped me. I mentioned Murray Lomax. He, he really set me on this path, but I've been treated so well by so many people within the in the world of motorsport. Um, only a few that haven't treated me well. So for all those that helped me along the way when I really didn't know what I was doing, um, I love that you were able to support someone that was just trying to battle their way through. Uh, and may the V8s continue to get bigger and bigger. And you're one of those people, mate, you used to give me that dossier at Bathurst when I was like, oh, gee, who's the co-driver here? And you'd hand it to me <laughs> and say, right, he's co-driver. He was born on the Saturday. He grew up here. He's left-handed. He's blah, blah. So I appreciate your help along the way as well, mate. And, and good luck with the pod and, mate, continue to go. And I can't believe Grant Daniel was on 115 episodes before me, but I'll get over that. There you have it, Mark Howard, the host of the Howie Games with us on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. I hope you enjoyed that one. I really got a lot out of that. Just great to chat about, well, we sort of bounced around all over the place, really, from Formula One and laying cables to uh, Formula One now and Abu Dhabi last year and all sorts of stuff that's going on around the place. I really enjoyed the chat. And actually, one of the people that Howie asked me to in the aftermath that he didn't weave in and among all the people that he meant to, David White's one of the people who played a massive role in his career along the way, the former head of sport and heavily involved with the Homer Motorsport, Channel 10. Uh, he was the guy who really did craft the way there. David White's still around the sport and still very much a keen and passionate motorsport uh, enthusiast and fan. I'm very jealous when he sends me photos from Goodwood of some of those amazing cars at that uh, at that festival of speed. Uh, but it's great to catch up with Howie. I hope you enjoyed this one. I did too. Um, We've got plenty of podcasts coming up on the Motorsport Podcast Network. Every Tuesday, Castro Motorsport News. Every Thursday or Friday, it's Repco Supercars Weekly. But on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco, next week, I've got a guy that many of you might have read his name. In fact, you'll have read his work over the years. The best, well, pretty much the best part of 50 years in Australian motorsport media. David Hassel was the founding editor of Motorsport News Magazine. He edited Auto Action. He founded Australian Motor Racing Magazine. He's been there and done it all. And in fact, he also wrote the Peter Brock story in the 80s. He had a very close connection to PB over the years. He's got a bunch of great stories and a bunch of great insight into the characters and the stories behind the sport from over the journey. He is my guest next week on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, Powered by Repco. Looking forward to that one. Hope you are too. Hey, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to us. Make sure you don't miss an episode at all. Uh, We're going to have a really big second half of the year on the run-up to the big races, Bathurst, Gold Coast, Adelaide. We've got a whole bunch of exciting guests coming up that we're putting in the can in upcoming weeks. We'll get Will Dale back in the studio soon too to do some Q&As. That mailbag is mounting, but keep those questions rolling in. We'll do another classic car sometime soon as well. We've got plenty of tricks up our sleeve here on the V8 Sleuth Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Love to hear from you. Keep the feedback coming. Get in touch via socials and our website. We'll chat to you soon. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint. May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. 
Simply type in your rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search rego, the number two, and oil and find out.